Slate's Negotiation Academy is brought to you by FedEx. FedEx does more than shipping. They offer businesses a range of valuable solutions. Explore the solutions at fedex.com slash solutions that matter. Hi, I'm Jill Barche. And I'm Seth Stevenson. Welcome to Episode 10 of Slate's Negotiation Academy. In Episode 9, we talked about negotiating with children. Now we're going to talk about how to negotiate your salary. We're going to apply all the techniques we've talked about so far to getting you more ducats. First, let's listen to a clip from the Albert Brooks movie, Defending Your Life. Now, first, he's going to role play a salary negotiation with his wife to practice. And then and then after that, we'll hear the actual salary negotiation with his boss. And we're going to see precisely what not to do. What do you want me to do? Be him. This is silly. It's not silly. It helps me. Offer me 55000 no more. How much do you want? How much are you offering me? $55,000. I can't work here for a penny under sixty-five. I'm sorry. Well, I can't pay you sixty-five. dollars Then I can't work here. $58,000. Let me make it plain. I cannot take the job for under sixty-five under no conditions. The next afternoon and the real encounter. Daniel, I'm prepared to offer you $49,000. I'll take it. I'm going to get you a parking place. Okay. So many errors, so many rookie mistakes. In, in, in the first part, he's inflexible, he's stubborn, he's stuck on his number, he won't trade off any concessions, and when it comes to the actual moment, he just takes the first offer without even making a counteroffer. So let's talk about how to do this right. Well, the first thing is just like Albert Brooks and the actual negotiation with his boss didn't ask for more money. Most people don't know that you really can negotiate. And our professor, Aaron Wallen, at Columbia Business School is making this point all the time. Realize that you're not a bad person for negotiating. 80% of hiring managers expect you to do some negotiating. They want to see your skills at work. Think of it that way. Don't ask for the moon. Back up what you're asking for with facts and figures so that you don't just seem greedy in case somebody is going to perceive you like that. Show the rationale behind what you're asking for. We were curious what hiring managers think. We talked to Greta Green Gentile, the head of human resources for the Denahan Hospitality Group. They run a couple of hotel chains, and she's also the co-chair of a compensation committee for the Society of Human Resource Managers. And she says the only turnoff is when someone is rude. It's all in the delivery. If someone comes in demanding and saying, look, bottom line, this is what I want, and I won't take anything below it, um, and then goes through a litany of other demands as far as other components in the, of the offer, that would be seen as too aggressive and inappropriate. And body language says a lot. If it's a conversation being done over the telephone, then, of course, you know, it has to do with the nuances in their voice and their tone. You know, what I would suggest, practice it with a friend. So, first of all, don't be afraid to negotiate. And second of all, when you do negotiate, don't be rude. Keep your tone friendly and civil. Don't worry too much. Try to be friendly. Try to be nice. In her entire career, Greta's only once seen an offer rescinded because of the way an applicant conducted himself during the salary negotiation. And what they felt was that his true colors were coming out and they didn't want to work with him as part of their team. 
Now, we talked in episode one about the advantage of naming a number first, getting out there first with your number instead of waiting for the other guy to name a number. You, you frame the negotiation in your favor. Now, the reality is in a salary negotiation, you might not always be able to name a number first. You might have to wait for the employer to name the number first, but then you're going to be able to counteroffer. So how do you pick the number you're going to counteroffer? How do you pick the number you're going to name? You begin with a lot of research. You go on the internet and you start looking at all those sites like payscale.com and salary.com and Monster and Career Builder, and you look what the salary ranges are for the specific job that you're going for. Now, beyond that, you can get more specific. Join the trade association for whatever kind of job you do, and you might be able to get some statistics there. Often they'll run surveys of members to find out how much money people are making in various positions. It's not that helpful to go around asking colleagues. Often they won't tell you the truth, and it's hard to get a real sense of the true range. Ranges also vary by geography. So a range that you might see in New York City won't necessarily apply in Minneapolis or Des Moines. And so you'll have to make those adjustments. But remember to do your research, however you do it. Greta says research is critical. Oftentimes, especially in this economy, people think that they have to um, take a cut in pay when they look for a new position. They may be unemployed or their job may be in the process of being eliminated or other such factors. So they're just hoping to get any job so they can put food on their table. And that's completely understandable. But it's important for each job you apply for to do your research and understand what rightfully that job should pay within a range. You know, it could be a $5,000, $10,000 range, depending on the level of the position. But at least know a ballpark figure ahead of time. So when you've got your ballpark figure, your, your range of reasonable salaries, you want to pick a number that's at the top of the range or even a little above that because you want to give yourself a little room to negotiate with your employer. You want to be able to come down a little from your number and trade off maybe for a different concession. Let's face it. I mean, the end result is going to be somewhere between the company's offer and the number you've picked. It's often a midpoint. Right. And you don't want to seem stubborn by just naming your number and sticking to it and never coming off of it. That's no way to negotiate. So when you say your number, do you just say the number? No, you want to give a rationale for the number you're saying. So let's say I'm a baseball shortstop and in an interesting move, I'm going to represent myself and, and, and Jill is the general manager of the baseball team. And I come to her and I say, well, Jill, it's, you know, it's been 10 years of gold glove defense and incredibly high on base percentages, tons of homers and doubles. And that's why I think I should make $15 million over two years. <laughs> Now, there's going to be an uncomfortable silence if you've named a high number. Endure it. It's okay. Name your number with confidence. You've given your rationale. You've given your number with confidence. Endure the uncomfortable silence. Wait for the response. You're going to be tempted to backpedal, or you're going to feel like you've named a number too high and you want to somehow undercut yourself a little bit. Don't do it. Say the number and wait. In some ways, the whole salary negotiation is stacked in the employer's favor because they get to make the offer first. Now, there are certain times where you, if you're 100% sure they're about to make you an offer, you can get the advantage of saying the number first. And then you say, you know, I'd like to make $100,000, please, or I'd like to make a $200,000, please, and here's why, before they make you the first offer. They're, this way, you're setting the bar. But, you know, if you're not 100% sure they're about to make you the offer and that they're actually still in the decision phase about whether they're going to make you the offer, there's a real downside to talking numbers too soon. 
Yeah, if, especially if you haven't done your research or you haven't found adequate backup for what the right range of salaries is, you might lowball yourself by num- naming a number first. They might just agree to it immediately. Or you could cut yourself in from contention. I mean, here you are trying to set the bar really high, but if they think you want to make $100,000 in a $50,000 job, they'll just cut you from contention and you'll no longer be in the pool of applicants. Now, remember that this negotiation over your salary doesn't just have to be about your salary. There are lots of other issues you can fold in. So maybe you can make a concession on the dollar figure, but bring in some other perk that you want. Right. So there's a whole list of things that you should negotiate as part of your compensation package. Obvious ones are bonus, but also think about negotiating the target that you have to meet in order for your bonus to kick in. You can, executives are always negotiating equity, the stock options they're going to get. And then, of course, there's things like vacation time, or maybe you get some kind of subsidy for paying for your commute, or you might negotiate a better work-life balance for yourself. Maybe you can come in a little bit later, or maybe you can work from home several days a week. Ask for a discount on the products that the company makes, or maybe the company can pay your gym membership. One thing to think about is you can accelerate the time when you get a review for a promotion. Instead of waiting a full year before a review and a possible raise, you could say, let's do this at the six-month mark. And that's really important for more junior people, perhaps someone coming straight out of graduate school. Often for these entry-level or pseudo-entry-level finance positions, the range of salary and bonus is pretty much prescribed or for a trainee program. But you can say, hey, I bring some extra things to the table and I would like to be considered for a promotion much sooner. This is also a good time to negotiate the whole shape of your career track. Worker bees are a dime a dozen. And what really helps you make the big money in a company is when you're part of the company's strategy. And so what you can do as part of your salary negotiation is negotiate your career track, your trajectory. Say, listen, I'll do this, but I would also like to be taking on this management, the strategic piece, so that when your review does come around, you're more likely to get a big raise because you're so part of what makes the company profitable. What Greta Green Gentile suggested was taking on extra job description that wasn't part of the original write-up and saying, listen, listen, I know it's to manage this group, but what if I take on this small group too, and that will justify more salary? Or get some kind of reassurance that you're going to be in the room when important decisions get made. And that's a way for you to expand your role at the company. And by having a bigger role, that really is going to justify more money down the line. And now we come to the dreaded job interview question. Jill, how much did you make at your last job? (sighs) We asked Greta Green Gentile why every human resource manager asks it. She said the main reason is to knock people out of contention so that if someone's earning a salary that's way above the range they plan to pay on this job, they do, she doesn't want to waste any more of her time interviewing this candidate that she can't afford. And, and the theory is that no one likes to take a big pay cut, that they'll just be demoralized and unhappy in the job. And of course, on the other end of the range, if you name a very low figure, you were making not very much money at your previous job, well, they can take advantage of that and maybe pay you less than they might otherwise. Right. So you might want to evade this question. And here's how Greta would recommend the evasion. You know, an easy answer is, you know what, I'm flexible. I need to learn more about the position, this specific position, before I would be able to share that kind of information. 
Sometimes that'll get you through the door. We also thought we'd talk with a lawyer who negotiates those insane compensation packages for overpaid CEOs. What can we mere mortals learn from the one percenters? Jotham Stein has negotiated hundreds of these compensation agreements for people on the vice president level and above. And he says one of the big ticket items that CEOs negotiate is protection and that we should all try to negotiate some form of it for ourselves. Best thing you can do often is negotiate your severance or your protections on day one. This happens all the time at the senior level, and that's why when you, when you read in the paper or see on the TV that some executive had just got fired and he walked away with $50 million, that's because he negotiated or she negotiated her severance on day one or her protection on day one. I often refer to it as a professional prenuptial agreement. So even for the person who's a mid-level manager or even lower, if they go to the new job and they say, listen, I'm happy to move jobs, but if you fire me, at least you should pay me some severance, let's say one month, two months, three months. So guarantee me that up front and put it in the employment agreement. That's the kind of protection that people should think about. Stein says he doesn't do much of the actual negotiating with the board, that 90% of the negotiating, the talking is done between the CEO or the prospective CEO and the board. He's in the background. And the way it might work is that the CEO will make an offer and the company makes a counteroffer. And then the CEO goes and calls Mr. Stein and says, what do I do next? And whoever you are, it's useful to have this kind of shadow advisor. It doesn't need to be a a lawyer or a negotiation expert, but it can be someone who just has an instinct for negotiation and can be a sounding board for you and is a little bit disinterested. Right. So, you know, you might use your father, your uncle, but even more ideal might be a salesman who's the father of someone else on your kid's soccer team. Maybe he's done a lot of negotiations before. He has a good feel for it. And he can give you some advice on how the back and forth should go. So, Seth, this is great advice if you're getting a new job and you're negotiating salary for the first time. How do you just go about making more money in the job you already have? Right. So what if you want to get a raise? Well, it's basically the same thing. You want to research the market, understand what the current range is for your job, ask for something at the high end of that or just above so you give yourself some room to negotiate. Think about other perks you can fold in. Maybe you've had that eye on the office with a window just across the hall, and maybe, you know, it'll take a little bit less money, but you get that office. And again, really important here, if you're negotiating with a boss you have an ongoing relationship with, you really want to keep the tone friendly. Be firm, ask for what you want, but be friendly, have everything be pleasant. And what if you don't have a permanent employer? Say you work on a freelance contract basis, like say you're us. Right. I often work on a freelance contract basis. So one of the things I think you juggle in that situation is you might take on some work and maybe you're expecting it's going to lead to more work. So you don't want to get too greedy. Maybe you'll take a little bit less than you might with the expectation that there'll be more coming down the line in the future. Well, how do you handle that? It's all about schmoozing, asking questions, you know, kind of get it in there. Ask the potential uh, contract employer, is this going to lead to more work down the line? If I do this for you now at, at this rate and I do a great job, is there potential for me to get a little bit better rate next time now when I've proven myself? That's it for Slate's Negotiation Academy. We hope you can apply a lot of the tips and techniques we've discussed in this episode and previous ones. And when you get that big, fat paycheck or raise, that you'll share some of it with your podcasters, Seth and Jill, and take us out for some big steak dinner. Can't wait for that. Uh, You can find all 10 episodes of Negotiation Academy at slate.com slash negotiation. 
And we hope to be back with more practical advice on future podcasts. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers. Our producer is Mark Phillips. I'm Seth Stevenson. And I'm Jill Barche. Happy haggling. Happy haggling.